You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. with me. Thank you for having me here. Some of you know me um, uh, from different lines of things I do, I guess. I, I work in the county as a, as a deputy, and uh, my duties primarily deal with evicting people and uh, taking people to hospital when they have substance abuse problems or are suicidal. So, um, but praise the Lord uh, that I can be here with you this morning. I'm 48 years old and need glasses and uh, bifocals now. Um, <laughs> I found that out at the gun range because I can't hit as much as I used to be able to hit at the gun range, but <laughs> praise the Lord. I, just a wonderful opportunity to be able to be here. Um, why don't we begin before the message here with a word of prayer, if you could bow your heads with me as we pray to our God. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your blessed Son, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide our hearts and our minds now as we look into your word. Lord, I am but a vessel, a wretched sinner, Lord, but I just pray that you would help me to be able to share your word and that you would do the drawing and the bringing forward of hearts to you, Lord, that you would convict us of sin if we need to be convicted of sin that you would encourage us, Lord, if we need to be encouraged, that you would warn us if we need to be warned, that you would help us, Lord, to be a men and women that would give glory to you in all that we say and do and are. We just ask, Lord, now you would guide this message in Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to, to uh, open it up to the book of Exodus. I'll be uh, giving a message on Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16, and also drawing from passages in Numbers 11 and in John chapter 6. Exodus 16, Numbers 11, and John chapter 6. And I encourage you to follow along just to keep me honest. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said to the devil when he was tempted in the desert. Job desired God's word more than his necessary food. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so it's to the word of God we go for our, our understanding of the Lord. And it's through his word Lord, that the Lord draws us to himself. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 16. And I'll be starting by reading verses 1 through 4. Exodus 16 verses 1 through 4. And the Bible says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, 
Behold, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Praise God for his word. The passage of scripture I just read to you is a passage of scripture that deals with the Israelites uh, not long after they had been rescued from Egypt. The Bible says here that this incident occurred on the 15th day of the second month after their departing of the land of Egypt. This was no more than 30 days after God had rescued them from their bondage. If you know anything about the Bible, you'll understand that the Israelites as a people were in bondage to a wicked Pharaoh and a wicked nation of Egyptians for 400 years. The Bible says that their bondage was bitter and hard. And in their bondage, they, they cried out to God and God heard them. And of course, you remember that the, the, what God had done is he had grabbed a guy by the name of Moses, an 80-year-old man who was a shepherd in the wilderness, a man who once was in Egypt. And he called Moses to help deliver his people. And so this incident happens 30 days after they've departed from Egypt. All of these Israelites, there's about 2.5 million of them, saw God's power in the plagues. They saw God turn the blood, the Nile River into blood. They saw God send the locusts. They saw God cause darkness to go over the face of the earth. They saw God send the plagues of the frogs and the flies. They saw all of these things already, had witnessed the power of God. And they even experienced, the Bible says here, it's the 15th day of the second month, they even experienced the Passover. Now, when we look at our calendars, when we look at our calendars, what's the first month of our year? January. That's a Gregorian or a pagan calendar that, that our, our world goes by. The Jews, that was not so. The Bible says that their calendar started with the month of Abib, and that was the month of the Passover. And it was on the 14th day of the month of Abib that a lamb was taken and it was slain and the, the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorposts. And then God, by his miraculous grace, when he saw the blood, he passed over the Israelites so that their firstborn didn't die. You all remember the scripture that, that talked about that. And that was a picture of Christ. And so now we are 30 days removed, 31 days removed from that actual incident of the Passover. And these, these Israelites, they saw all that. And not only did they see that, after the Passover, after God had, had saved them because they were covered under the blood, the God, what, what did he do, the God of the Bible? He actually killed the firstborn of the Egypt, and, and the Pharaoh was, was done with the Israelites and said, get out of here, leave. And the Egyptians even sent them along with all of their goods and their gold and their silver. And so these slave people, they were taken from, from Egypt and, and they, were, they, were, they left Egypt and they were led by a, a pillar of fire and a, and a cloud of smoke. How many of you remember the story? And so they've seen God's power and the plagues and they've seen the Passover and the grace shown to them there. And they saw God lead them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And not only that, they're 20 days removed from seeing a miraculous event at the Red Sea. 20 days, 20 days prior to this passage of scripture, they saw God open an eight mile channel through the Red Sea, 800 feet, 800 feet high water on both sides and they walked through dry ground. 
And then the Egyptians, of course, were pursuing them. The enemies were pursuing them. And they saw God bring down fire and separate them from their enemies, the Egyptians. And then when they got on the other side, when they got on the east side of the Red Sea, what else did they see? They saw God collapse the Red Sea and drown their enemies. And not only that, when they got on the other side, 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours prior to this event that I just read to you, they saw God provide them sweet waters after experiencing bitter waters and led them to an oasis in Elam. They saw all of these things. And then we read in verse 2 in this passage of scripture, they murmured. They complained. And they even go so far as to blaspheme God's holy name by saying, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They are, they are 20 hours from experiencing the water God provided, 20 days from experiencing the Red Sea crossing, 30 days from experiencing the, the Passover lamb, and they're complaining, desiring to go back to the bondage that they once experienced. Now, there's a lesson here for us. First of all, we have no business as a people, as a congregation, to complain. If we have experienced God's power and God's grace, we have absolutely no reason to complain. The Bible says in the book of Lamentations, Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins? If we would consider just for a moment what we deserve, what is it? It's judgment and it's damnation. But what have we been given? We begin with salvation. We've been rescued from bondage. We have no reason to complain. And so what's God's response to this complaining people? What would your response be? What would your initial reaction be to see a people murmur but 20 hours removed from being shown so much grace? Well, we see God's reaction in verse 4. God looks on the people and he says unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. This makes absolutely no sense to me. A bunch of whiners. And God's response to a bunch of complaining, wretched, sinful whiners is that he's going to rain bread down for them. And why it doesn't make any sense to me or why it doesn't make any sense to you is because we're not the Lord. Because what we see here is the Lord's grace poured out on a wicked people. Point number one in this passage of scripture is the bread from heaven, the manna. And we're going to talk about the manna here this morning. The bread from heaven proves that our God is a God of grace. That his actions toward his people always are actions of grace. Unmerited favor poured out on a wicked people. But there's more going on here than just bread that he provides. And we're going to talk about the physical bread he provided these Israelites. But there's more going on here if we really understand all the scriptures. I want to read from a passage in the New Testament from John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. And the Bible says this. 
Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In the Old Testament, God sent manna from heaven. But that example of God's grace in the Old Testament was put there for a reason. Not because it was God's way of showing us that we'd always be full of physical food. But it was a representation or a picture of something that God, by his grace, by his magnanimous, magnanimous grace, he was going to do in the future. And that was to send down real bread from heaven, spiritual bread from heaven. And the bread wouldn't be his physical food, it would be a person. Jesus says to, to those in the New Testament here, for the bread of God is he, it's a person which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. And that person of course is himself a true example of God's grace and so we're going to look at at this this passage of scripture about the manna about the bread from heaven and how God sent it to the Israelites and we're going to see Jesus in it because it's a picture of of the Christ that we know of our savior the bread of life which gives life to the world. Exodus chapter 16, verse 15 through 16. I'll read a little bit about the manna here. Exodus chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. The Bible says, And when the children of Israel saw it, that is the manna, they said one to another, It is manna. For they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. So here's the picture. God, he, he rains down this bread from heaven. It shows up in the morning just as the dew. The Bible says just as hoarfrost. How many of you know what hoarfrost is? Anyone know what hoarfrost is? If you ever in the winter when it's really cold and then it's foggy in the morning and it freezes and you see these massive flakes all over the ground and all over a tree, that's called hoarfrost. It's very large. The Bible says that's what it looked like when, when the manna came down there. And the Bible says specifically that God's instruction to the Israelites was that every man according to his eating was supposed to gather some of the manna. And here we see now a picture of the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible says that salvation was not given just for a few, that God provided salvation, that he paid the sins for who? For every man. For God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. No matter how wicked, no matter how destitute, no matter how in bondage, the Bible says that Christ Jesus was sent to take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist says, John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, that Christ's salvation was provided for every man. 1 John 2, 22 says, He, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I can pick up a guy in my squad car, put him in the back of my squad car. Maybe he's committed a crime, maybe he's not. I know that Jesus died for his sins, just as he died for mine, just as he died for you and for every man. Black, white, fat, skinny, doesn't matter. Every man and every woman, Christ died for all of our sins, amen? amen. 
And the Bible says in, in the manna here, it was provided for every man. All the Israelites could partake of the manna. But here's the thing. It was provided for every man, but the Bible says that every man had to gather according to his eating. The manna, when it was spread out in the wilderness, there was a requirement. There was one requirement that was required that every man had to individually gather their own bread. Your mom and your daddy couldn't go out there and gather the bread for you. You had to go out there and get it. And the Bible says the same thing about our salvation. Your salvation is not based on what your mom or dad believed or what your grandma and grandpa believed or what your pastor believed or what your worship leader believes. You have to personally trust in Jesus Christ. You have to personally take him within yourself. Just like you have to personally consume bread to get the nourishment from bread, you have to personally allow Jesus Christ to enter into your heart. There's a condition placed on it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, you have to personally believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And the same thing is for the manna. And so we see the picture. The manna is a picture of how the bread was provided for every man. The bread of life, Jesus Christ, provided for every man. But every man individually had to be born again. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, or from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's a verse that says that you're not saved based on your traditions. Just because your daddy was saved doesn't mean you're saved. Have you personally trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you personally taken of the bread of life? That's what the Bible says. Point number two, or point number three. Point number one was that God's a God of grace. Two, that God has provided the bread of heaven for every man. Point number three, the Bible says here, if we look at Exodus, if we look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 21, it says of the manna, it says, and they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And so it appeared as hoarfrost in the morning. And they were, were supposed to go out and gather it every morning. Now, in the Old Testament, there was one day they were not supposed to work on. And that was the what day? It was on the, on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, they were not supposed to work. And so what God did is he provided the bread every morning, but then provided a double portion on the day before the Sabbath so they wouldn't contradict God's commandment concerning the Sabbath. But here's the point. God provided his provision, the bread of life, for them to consume of it every day. It was to be their daily sustenance. It was required that they take of the bread every day. And so we see the picture. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And we come to him, salvation, we come to him, we trust in him, and he saves us. But not only is our, he is our savior from hell, and he washed away our sins by his own blood, but he wants to be our daily sustenance every day. Don't be satisfied in your Christian walk just to get a little bit of Jesus on Sunday and not have any of him the, next, the, the rest of the week. He is to be your daily sustenance, your daily food, your daily bread. And in America, we should understand this very well. We eat like at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock and at 2 o'clock and at 3, right? There's a fast food joint everywhere. Fattest country in the entire world. We love to eat as Americans. I'm telling you as Christians, we should ought to love to feed on Jesus Christ and his word. He's to be our daily sustenance. 
But the problem is we get our, our lives so full of garbage that's on the internet, so full of garbage that's on TV, so full of garbage around us, we're not hungry for Jesus. Don't be satisfied just with this Sunday service. Feed on Jesus Christ. He wants to be your daily sustenance. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if any man come to me, he must deny himself daily and follow me. We're supposed to pray according to the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. He is what satisfies us. Just as the man who was supposed to be their daily sustenance. What else do we read about this bread? We read that it was provided for every man and it had to be taken by every man individually. We read that this manna was a daily sustenance. There's something else we read in Numbers about this bread, this manna. In Numbers chapter 11, it says of this manna, and I'll be reading verses 4. Oh, wait a second here. Verses, verse 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, And the manna was as coriander seed. And the color thereof is the color of bedellum. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar, and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of fresh oil. Exodus chapter 16, verse 31 says, The taste of the manna was like honey, honey wafers. The Bible says here that the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof was the color of bedellum. Now, what does that mean? Try to explain then what that means. Bedellium was a translucent white gum type of resin. It was kind of like a white crystal. Exodus 16, 31 tells us the manna was white or pure looking. And so we see the picture. John the Baptist said of Jesus Christ, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Why was Jesus Christ the only sufficient Lamb of God to take away our sins? Because he's the only Lamb without blemish. He was tested by, by Pilate and by all of those Jews. And when Pilate examined him, what did Pilate find in him? I find no fault in him. Just as the manna was pure in the wilderness of sin, Jesus Christ is pure, white, holy. But there's something else special about this manna. The Bible says it was as coriander seed. How many here know what coriander seed is? Well, coriander seed is it's a little round seed and it's, it's a hard round seed. Have, have you ever had cilantro? How many of you ever had cilantro? It's a spice. If you let cilantro grow in your garden or your herb garden, eventually it'll go to seed and it, it, it creates something called coriander. There's a funny thing about coriander. You can go over the fairway over here in town and stuff and you can buy it, but you have to buy it kind of like this. It says ground coriander. And the Bible says with this manna, what they had to do with this manna, it was like coriander seed. What is, what is God trying to teach us about this? Why was it like coriander seed? Well, in order to derive, to, to derive proper sustenance from it, what the people did is they gathered it and then they ground it in mills. They ground it and they beat it with a mortar and then they baked it in pans. And you see the picture. The bread that God provided, the bread from heaven that God provided the Israelites had to be ground and beat that it might give sustenance to the people. And so it is with our Savior, Jesus Christ. The lamb without blemish and without spot. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 said that he was bruised for our transgression beaten 
We just took communion moments ago. We took communion. And you remember when we take communion, we're supposed to eat of that bread. Again, a pitcher, the bread. And, and the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 24. For I have received of the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And so the Old Testament here says the manna, the bread from heaven, was as coriander seed, and it had to be broken. And Jesus Christ, in order to be able to pay for our sins, had to be broken. His body had to be broken, for he's the bread of life. One other thing we see here in Numbers, let's kind of repeat what we've gone over. God, in his grace, set down bread from heaven to nourish the people, to save the people. God in his grace provided the bread for heaven for every man. We just read that here in the scriptures. God in his grace provided the bread of heaven. It had to be broken that it might provide sustenance. God in his grace uh, provided a bread from heaven that was pure and white, just like Jesus Christ. And now we read in Numbers 11, and this is a sad warning here, Numbers 11, as we read about the bread, something happened while the people consumed it. Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6, it says this. And there was a mixed multitude that was among them, and they fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away, and there is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Now, we've spent the last few minutes here discussing how wonderful the bread of heaven was that and we read about in the Old Testament and also describing how wonderful Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is given to us. And then we read in this passage of Scripture, there's a warning here that amongst the number of people that partook of the bread, there was a mixed multitude that fell a-lusting. There was a number of people amongst this group that fell lusting. You say, what were they lusting for? Well, they were lusting for, the Bible says here, the onions that they had in Egypt. The fish that they ate out of the Nile. The melons of their old life and the garlic. And there's a lesson here for us. God has provided Jesus Christ to satisfy us. But there may be amongst this number, and we know for sure amongst this world, there's a mixed multitude who always follow lusting, who despise the bread, who see no benefit in the bread, who would rather go back to the old life, rather go back to their bondage, rather go back to their onions and their garlic and their cucumbers, because to them, Jesus is just not enough. May the Holy Spirit guide you as you think about this passage of Scripture. Are you tempted to fall a-lusting? To suggest to God's people that Jesus Christ is not enough? To return to the old life and to the old ways? Just as it happened in the Old Testament, it happens today. To fall a-lusting. I am here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is enough. That I don't need the old life anymore. I don't need the garlics and leeks because I've got the bread of life. 
Jesus Christ alone will sustain me until I see him again. And I've turned my back on that because I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. God forbid we follow lusting and despise the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that could hold no water. Don't exchange the, the relationship you have for Jesus Christ now for the old life. He alone satisfies. He, he alone satisfies abundantly. How abundantly does he satisfy? Again, let's look back at the scriptures. We read about the manna. How, how, how abundant did God satisfy the people with the manna, with the bread from heaven? We read here, and I read the scripture earlier, in, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 16, God's commandment to them was to gather it, gather it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man. According to the number of your persons, take ye every man of them which are in the tents, and the children of Israel did so, and gathered some, some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. So here's, the, here's what happened. God had sent this manna, this bread from heaven, God's provision for the people to sustain them. And the Bible says that every man they were able to gather an omer. How many of you know what an omer is? I don't expect you to know. Wait, Omer sounds like some Arab from, from over, over there. But it's an actual unit of measurement equal to about a half gallon of dry food. So just picture for yourself like a, an empty uh, uh, ice cream bucket, a gallon bucket, and then fill it half full of like bread or rice or grain. That's what an Omer is. And the Bible says that every morning God provided the manna, which was equal to that half gallon for every man. Now I want you to think about this for a second. This was God's provision for his people. He provided a half gallon every morning for every man. How many men and women were in this number? Well, I already had mentioned to you, and we have numbers from the Bible, there were 2.5 million of them. So every morning they came out, and, and there was an omer provided, a half gallon of, of, of bread provided for every man, 2.5 million times a half gallon. That's 9 million pounds of manna. That's over 4,000 tons of manna. Enough bread, enough food to fill 30 freight trains with 30 cars in each train. Every single morning, God says, here you go. And he did that every single morning for 40 years. Is God enough? Obviously. There's nothing more that God can do for us in giving his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is enough. He said he's come to give us life and that more abundantly. And to go back to the old life and the old ways is to say that, well, that's just not enough, God. Jesus Christ is enough. There's a passage in, in Colossians, I, I love this passage in Colossians that speaks about how Christ is enough, that he satisfies. In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 8, Colossians chapter 2, it says in verse 8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. 
First of all, the Bible says there are going to be men and men and women there that will try to spoil you as believers through a, a philosophy or vain to see through this idea. Well, what's the idea? Well, it says here, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him that is in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, if you've trusted in Christ, are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So here's the lesson here. God has provided enough. He has provided his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you have access to the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the Bible says if you are in Christ and you're in Christ and you trusted in Christ, you are complete in him. Basically, if you are in Christ, you have everything already. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. I want you to think about this. In Christ, the Bible says we trust in Christ. God comes to dwell in us through his spirit. He dwells in us. He indwells us. And now we have in Christ, we have the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means we have all the Father. The creator of the entire universe dwelling in us. That means we have all the Son. Jesus Christ who walked on water, who made the lame to walk, who gave the sight to the blind. We have all of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. And we've got all the Spirit. Now, do we need any more? Absolutely not, because we are complete in Him. So don't fall for some idea that you need to add something to your salvation, or it's just not enough, or maybe we should go back to the old ways. We are complete in Him. Because the bread of heaven satisfies. He satisfies, and he satisfies completely. Now, one last point. One last point about the bread of heaven. Perhaps you're hearing all of this and feel empty yourself because you have never trusted in Jesus Christ. Numbers chapter 11 says, not Numbers chapter 11, Exodus chapter 16 says something really neat about, about this bread. One more point here. The Bible says in verse 13, in Exodus 16, verse 13, and it came to pass that even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew, the manna, lay round about the host. In the morning the dew lay round about the host. The bread that God had sent from heaven, the manna, when they got up in the morning, they opened their door and it was right there. And you see, it's a real neat picture. Because in order to get that bread, in order to partake of that sustenance that God provided, God put it right there. He didn't expect the people to take a long journey or to add some extra work to go get it. All they had to do was go out their tent and get it. And so it is with Jesus Christ. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand that he is right here. right where you sit. You can trust in him right now. He is near to us. His spirit dwells with us right now. And God doesn't expect any extra work on your behalf. Just simple faith to trust in him. God is so good. 
And if we return to how we started this message, we've got no reason to complain. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for his provision. Praise the Lord for his son. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. I pray that your spirit has now made sense of it to the people here, Lord. Lord, I pray that your, your spirit would draw us closer to you. If there be someone here, Lord, that has been struggling with the old ways and the old life, Lord, I pray that you would convict them in their hearts that you alone satisfy. Lord, I pray that you would convict them in their hearts that you alone make them complete. Lord, if there be someone here that has never partaken of the salvation that you offer, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, if there be someone here that has never trusted in your son for salvation, I pray that you would speak to them, Lord, and, and they in faith would, would trust in, in what you have done for them. Trust in the son of God that laid his life on a cross, Lord, for their sakes, and then rose from the dead. Lord, we thank you for, for your word that tells us these truths. Let it be our daily food. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.